What we know about educational media is that it is effective. There's evidence from all around the world that it is effective, but it is only effective if children both watch and pay close attention. It's as much of our job to make it highly fun and engaging as it is to make it educationally effective, because we're not going to get that effectiveness if they aren't really in tune with the content and paying attention. Hello, everyone. This is Bassem, producer of the show, welcoming you back to another episode of Wise Words, the show where we talk to the world's leading minds in education and beyond. This episode's guest features Nisha Ligon, the co-founder and CEO of 2017 Wise Awards winner Ubongo, which is the leading kids' edutainment company across Africa. Some of their popular animated series, such as Akili and Me and Ubongo Kids, have been broadcasted in more than 31 countries across Africa, reaching millions of kids who tune in every month. How has the edutainment scene in Africa evolved throughout the years, particularly in the context of this year, 2020? Stick around to hear Nisha talk about edutainment in Africa, alongside host and CEO of WISE, Stavros Inuka, very shortly. And as always, be sure to subscribe to WISE Words if you haven't done so already on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or your preferred podcast app. Take it away, Stavros. Hello, everyone. This is Stavros Yanuka, CEO of WISE, welcoming you back for another episode of WISE Words. Our guest today is Nisha Ligon, co-founder and CEO of Ubongo, a 2017 WISE Awards winner and Africa's leading children's edutainment platform. Nisha is a social entrepreneur with a background in media and science. Uh, and she channeled both of those passions and talents into education programming for television and radio. Uh, beyond the WISE Awards, Nisha's work has been featured worldwide um, on the BBC, um, in The Guardian, and in an award-winning documentary, Twiga Stars. Uh, since Ubongo's inception, over 17 million families in Africa have been learning and enjoying its television and radio programming. Nisha, it's uh, really a pleasure to welcome you to Wise Words. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Nisha, tell us what uh, a, a little bit about Ubongo and its and its background and, and sort of what what prompted you to to go into this field. Sure. So Ubongo is a Tanzania-based nonprofit social enterprise that creates edutainment for kids in Africa to help them to learn and also use what they're learning to change their lives and communities. Um, so the basic idea is that we leverage the amazing um, power of entertainment together with the huge reach of mass media and then combine that with kind of the proven effectiveness of localized and child-centered pedagogies bring those together so that we can bring kids quality learning at low cost and really high scale um, what prompted us to start it was really looking at so so we were founded in 2013 and you know, there's this huge education gap and education crisis in Africa. And if you look at the demographics, I mean, the, not, the amount of time it's going to take just to get enough teachers trained, um, 
if you consider the number of children who are now coming up and coming into the school system, there has to be something else to help fill that gap. Um, so we were looking at technology and thinking, okay, well, you know, there's e-learning, there's all this great technology. But the problem is, if you think about tablets and computers and the internet, most kids in Africa, especially those who are maybe missing out on a quality education, aren't going to have access to that. Um, but we looked and saw, well, there are a lot of technologies out there, kind of the older technologies that people still really do use a lot, like radio and television, um, and also basic mobile phones. So with those combined, you reach about 90% of the population. Why don't we create something that's like e-learning, but instead of insisting that, you know, everyone's got to have some kind of smart or internet-enabled device, we use these older technologies. It's something that's been done around the world for a long time um, and has been shown to be effective in different places, but hadn't been done um, at scale in Africa and in a way that was adaptable using the latest advances in kind of teaching and pedagogy um, and also created in a way that was really localized and, and locally rooted. So we started doing that um, making our kind of signature educational cartoons as well as programs for other platforms and have been growing and, and reaching kids to help them learn and love learning uh, ever since. Thanks. Thanks, Nisha. Thanks for that, um, that, that sort of background. Tell us a little bit now about the creative process that you, that you go through and in particular focus, you know, and I think what, you know, what drew, certainly what drew wise to, to Ubongo when we, we, decided on the, you know, on the, on the award was, you know, you were, you were developing locally inspired content. So tell us a little bit about, you know, about the creative process and, and, and what role the sort of local context plays in, in helping you shape that, uh, that content. Sure. So we're really rooted in using human-centered design, or we actually say kid-centered design. Um, and the kids are really at the center of everything we do. Um, so we're based in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, but we now have team and representatives across eight different countries in Africa. And what we know about educational media is that it is effective. There's evidence from all around the world that it is effective, but it is only effective if children both watch and pay close attention. So it's as much of our job to make it highly fun and engaging as it is to make it educationally effective, because we're not going to get that effectiveness if they aren't really in tune with the content and paying attention. So it's really critical for us to work with kids to make sure we're identifying storylines, characters, um, mute, creating music, and, and creating things that are really going to be engaging for them. So we include them at every stage of the process. So um, when we're developing a new series idea, um, we'll do a lot of prototyping and testing with kids, lots of interviews and, and kind of creative processes with kids where we actually get them coming up with their own stories and, and kind of co-creating with us to come up with the ideas. Um, and we also do that when we're working on new kind of educational formats. So we do a lot of um, evaluation. And if we're seeing that something's not working as well as we were hoping, we'll actually kind of either bring kids into our office or take a team out into the field and create content and, and test it in really rapid cycles to make sure that we're getting to something that's 
both educationally effective for the local context and really highly engaging so the kids will pay a lot of attention. So once we've developed these formats, then we kind of go into full production um, on a series and um, we do, we continue doing a lot of that testing. So each episode has uh, usually some kind of an academic topics or a math or a science or reading topic, plus a um, social and emotional learning or a life skills topic. And we will create a story around those. And then we actually test the stories with kids. We tell it to them as a story and see if they were engaged, what they remember, what they learned from it. And doing that really early testing helps us to get to something that's really strong, that's going to hit home with our audience. We can actually test it with kids in different countries and contexts or try it in different languages. Rather than going all the way to the end of animating something and finding out later, oh, it's not really working. So we, we spend a lot of time up front and then we take it into um, a recording process, animation process uh, do a lot of songwriting. So we know that they love songs. We do original songs in every episode, kind of test those, singing them with the kids. See, are they catchy? You're going to help the kids remember things. Um, yeah, and just make sure we have that really collaborative process the whole way through. Um, and I think thanks to that, we know, like by the time an episode's complete, we actually already know the kids are going to love it because we've tested it with them at so many points along the way. How how do you go about sort of selecting the, the kids? And I mean, it, yeah, it's that's that's an incredible sort of uh, uh, process, and it, it feels, uh, I guess, time time consuming and and quite quite intense. How how do you go about selecting the kids, engaging with them, you know, on on this kind of sustained basis? Yeah. So it's actually, I think it is less time consuming to do it early and often rather than, um, you know, it's more time consuming if you don't pretest and do the early testing and then have to go back and, and redo things. So we just always remind ourselves of that. Um, so for a lot of it, we actually do a bit of convenience selection. So our office is located in a great neighborhood that's very much our kind of local audience of kids who are going to government schools, um, Growing up, um, you know, in, in the kind of situation that's similar to most of the kids who we would be um, seeing as our audience, though an urban population, not not rural. Um, so we actually do a lot of testing with the kids in the neighborhood and we'll, we'll kind of set up cohorts, get permission of their parents, and then they can come to our office and do that. Then we make sure to always balance that with rural children too. So, so we pick different regions. Um, we've mostly done Tanzania and Kenya, but some in, in uh, places like Ghana, Uganda, Rwanda also, to also make sure we go and test. And, and when we're doing that, we do more of a trip and, and take up quite a bulk of content there to test with. And so we're kind of gathering that feedback in from different places as we, as we go. Um, but what we have found is that, you know, when we do the evaluations after the fact, even something that's been created with urban kids in Tanzania, um, it really holds the attention of rural kids in Nigeria too. So, so there is something universal about some of these, you know, ideas, especially with the younger kids that we find that as long as we put in that effort um, with children, that uh, it does travel quite well. And what's been kind of shocking and amazing to us is especially for our preschool programming, Akili and me, um, the things that we've worked really hard to develop together with kids in Tanzania and Kenya are now being watched by kids from the U.S. to the Philippines and, and really loved there. So I think especially with these old, uh, younger ages, the key is having that childlike 
mind there, right? Not just adults thinking about what it has to be, but in many ways, um, something that works for a kid in Tanzania is actually also highly engaging for for a child all the way over in the U.S. Yeah, I mean that that's 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 good, and that's 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 an important sort of, I think, message to get out in in the world that you know. That in some respects, when we, you know, when we, we, when we start out as kids, you know, we're not, we're not all that different, right? I mean, you, you can, you know, sometimes I find that you, you know, folks overplay the, the kind of localization element. And again, I'm not saying it's not, it's not important to draw on local stories and traditions, but, but also remember that, you know, at the end of the day, you know, kids are kids and they'll, they'll, they'll react in a, in a particular way if you've got, sort of the right mix of of elements. I mean, we found for adults, it's actually more important. We do do a lot of caregiver content and we found that that's the stuff that is actually hardest to travel. Um, Whereas the things for young kids, um, localization of language is super important, but the themes and the stories actually, you know, every child growing up there, it's, it's very similar. They're learning about the world around them. And as long as you show a diversity of experiences, um, they're also interested in things that are, that are different too, and a little bit magical or a little bit, um, yeah, yeah, different there. So, so we have found that especially the younger they are, the more universal things can be, except when it comes to language, in which case, yeah, you really got to get it to what they speak and understand. Tell me a little bit about, so music seems to be kind of a, a, a centerpiece of, of the programming. Um, tell me a little bit about, you know, what, what you've learned about the, the power of music to, to, to engage kids. Yeah. So music has been a big part of our shows. Um, every episode of Ubongo Kids, which is our older kids, um, series, has an original song um, about whatever the theme of the day is. So usually a, a STEM topic or sometimes a life skills topic. Um, and then Akili and Me, our preschool show, gosh, it's like I think three or four songs per episode. So lots of music. Um, we've done a lot of research. We do kind of eye tracking with the kids to see what's engaging them. And, and for sure, music always draws them back in. Um, and we use it in a couple of different ways. So um, one is as like a memory trigger. So if you've got something that's difficult to remember, having a song about it is you know, we've all, we've learned that, right? Mnemonics, like I can name all of the states in the United States, no problem at all in alphabetical order because I learned it as a song when I was a kid. So for things like that, you know, remembering the difference between proper and improper fractions, um, doing things like skip counting. We found that music is a really great way where we can create a catchy song about that and the kids just remember it. Um, Another thing is to kind of introduce them to a topic that might be a little bit scary or difficult, especially around things like math or science. Um, using music can help as like a, an easier kind of entryway um, to, to learning about something. Um, and we found that teachers really like to use it that way too, where they can take our songs about, say, the water cycle and, you know, sing a song about the water cycle with the kids and it, it can help them, um, you know, make it a little bit more approachable. Um, and then and we also really use music to just kind of um, 
be, especially for the younger kids, kind of a segue in energy. So sometimes the music isn't about teaching a specific topic, but it could be doing an activity or doing something where, okay, if they've been sitting and listening to a story or doing something that's reading and really hard, you know, brain power, then let's get them up, get them dancing and get them moving so that then we can settle back down and do the next thing. So the same way a teacher might use it in the classroom, we kind of plan out an episode. So we have those ups and downs um, with these musical breaks uh, too, to to make sure that we're managing the energy of, of the student while they're learning. Yeah, no, that's, that's again, really, really interesting and, and insightful because, again, it suggests to me that, you know, we, we are hardwired in, in many respects as, as humans to respond to music, which is why, again, if you look around the world at children's programming, it's music is ubiquitous, right? And it, it you know, and it seems to, you know, it, it seems to operate at a, almost at a subconscious level in terms of, you know, triggering things like, you know, memory and, and, and attention and, and, you know, all, all the good things that we want to, uh, to have happening when, um, when kids are engaged in, in learning. And, you know, I, I often wonder why, when we grow up, do we progressively relegate music to kind of an option and something that, you know, that you pursue as, only if you're, you know, you're really interested or, or you have a, you know, particular sort of talent, you know, as opposed to maybe making it a, a core, you know, of, of our learning. Yeah, it's really true. I mean, um, we, we see the same thing here in Tanzania. You know, there's lots of kids who are really interested in music. Um, but if you're, you know, kind of on that academic pathway, then you get steered away from it. Um, but We've even used music. I mean, the other way that we use it is that it's an incredible tool for teaching things like math, right? So um, music is a great way to learn about fractions, to learn about, um, you, you know, different notation and even coding and computational thinking. There are these wonderful linkages with music. Um, so, yeah, as we, the nice thing is that because we've got this multimedia show, we can actually incorporate in a way, you know, do things that might be a little bit more difficult to do in the classroom if you don't have a lot of tools and technology. Um, but we can use music to teach, like say we have a topic on fractions, we can look at, you know, these different notes and how long the, the note lasts and think about fractions in a really different way versus the way that a lot of kids are doing in, in the classroom where it's just like a pure memorization of, you know, this is a half and this is a quarter rather than when they're clapping, they can actually look at, okay, if, you know, we're doing four beats for a whole, then a half is going to be two beats, a quarter is going to be one beat. And it actually gets them thinking in a fun way, but that helps them actually understand the underlying concept of what they're doing rather than just kind of memorizing um, something that was put on the board. So yeah, I, I would love to see music used, used in many more ways. And, and I've seen a lot of really creative innovators now starting to use music to teach things like computational thinking and introduction to code and um, yeah, all different sorts of things. So I, I wish it were used more and we're always encouraging teachers to kind of download our songs, learn them, use them with their, with their students because it really is just such a valuable tool um, for introducing topics, helping kids remember them and just, you know, breaking up the school day a bit. Now you must be, you know, through both through the sort of creative process, um, but also, you know, through uh, responses to your, to your programming, you must, 
be collecting a fair amount of of data on on the impact of some of these methodologies. Tell us a little bit about about. I mean, do do you consciously go out and try and collect the data? And if if so, do you have any any thoughts about what you might do with it beyond obviously having it inform your your work? Yeah, so we do. So so impact evaluation is a little bit difficult for us because we don't have kids in a classroom right there, right? So there, there's some ways we have to have a lot of different data sources, then we kind of triangulate between them um, to, to understand our impact. So um, there's kind of three main um, metrics that we're always looking at and that kind of balance against each other. So the first being reach. So um, luckily we're able to get data from um, basically the media ratings agencies. So we now reach about 17 million households um, each month in the core markets we're in that we actually get some data from. Um, and so, so we're able to track that and we get really granular information. So we can see how many people are watching each episode. We can see, um, we can see, you know, once we launch in a channel, are we starting to get a larger audience week on week, um, and, and see the responses that way. Um, so that's really valuable information. And then we also kind of on the other end of the spectrum, look at learning outcomes. So we work with academic partners generally. We've worked with the University of Maryland a lot to do very rigorous kind of controlled trials or or quasi-experimental studies to really see, okay, if a kid watches this much, what are the learning outcomes that they achieve from it? Sorry, my glasses are fogging up here. It's hot in dark. So what are the learning outcomes that they would achieve um, from watching the programming? Uh, And what we've actually found from those is that the learning outcomes are most um, aligned and predicted by their engagement. So we look at their receptivity. How much are they paying attention? How many characters um, can they recognize and name? So now we also kind of track this receptivity, right? So we know that it's not enough to just have the TV on. It's um, how are kids paying attention? And so, so by having those... Um, kind of three pieces of information, the reach, the learning outcomes achieved, and the imp- the engagement. So like, let's say, you know, we found recently that about 55% of kids who have the TV on um, or have the TV on there watch enough to remember kind of four main characters. And we know how the learning outcomes that you achieve if you can remember four characters out of the show. So, so this starts to give us some pretty valuable data about, um, you know, who are we reaching and, and what is the impact there? And we've also been trying to, you know, see whether this can be more helpful for media learning in general, right? So if other people can learn from what we're doing here, so we share and publish this information, and hopefully that can help inform best practices for other people um, using media for learning. Um, and the other thing that we can do is we kind of test different pedagogies and pedagogical approaches. So we've done quite a bit of this kind of eye tracking. It sounds fancy, but it's not. We have one screen with our content, one screen with uh, like a distractor, and then you kind of put a little secret camera in and film and see when are the kids looking at the screen? When are they looking away? Um, and the people who develop Blue's Clues have kind of developed a methodology for this where they show that um, the higher the engagement, the more kids were learning. So we have been able to now crunch the data 
for a lot of different episodes with different kids watching it and seeing, well, what are the things that can be happening that drive the most engagement of eyes on screen versus where are we losing kids and where are they turning away? Um, and that's really informed further production and try to share that with other partners who are interested in creating content too. So any kind of a long thing with like a chalkboard or, you know, we'll make it look fancy. It's like a fancy, you know, pink cloud that's like a board still loses the kid's attention. Um, whereas some things that we wouldn't have expected, we've learned are really effective, like just the, the most effective thing for getting a kid's attention is actually just an explicit call to action. Um, so having the character say, hey, will you do this with us? I guess, you know, the kids, they pay attention, they perk up and say, oh yeah, of course I'll do it with you. So we're always trying to actively engage them and have those calls to action. And so that data has been incredibly valuable because some of the things that we would have thought are like the most engaging, like, oh, have a flying car and it's got like sparkles coming out of it. We're kind of like, yeah, they were neutral. But then some of these really simple things, like just asking them to join in with the characters or say, hey, give us a high five too. It pulls the kids in. They feel that they're part of it and then they stay more engaged. Yeah. So in, in, in some ways, it's it's trying to, to make it interpersonal. That's what pulls the kid kids in. The, the, the sense that, you know, the character is talking to me, is, 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 is addressing me, is, is engaging with me. No, that's that that's interesting, and and you know, obviously, I understand. Again, given sort of Africa's level of sort of um, economic development at the moment, you you know, there's a need for radio and and television. But how how have you sort of reacted? I, I again assume that internet penetration is you know is on the rise um, across the continent, and therefore, have you started thinking about how that might change your model of engagement over over time. Yeah, definitely. So our our approach is that we're very platform agnostic, right? We focus a lot on creating really effective stories to teach things and then we will make them for whatever technology kids can access. Um, so yeah, radio and TV are definitely by far the biggest reach for now. As I said, we're reaching 17 million Plus, we're only getting data from six countries and we're in 18, right? So we know we're reaching way more than that. We just don't have the data for some of the other countries. Um, whereas on, on online, we, all that same content does go online on YouTube and we get about a million unique viewers, um, uh, up to 2 million potentially per, per month there. So it's still a large number, but it's not nearly at the scale um, that we're reaching through broadcast. Um, the nice thing, though, is it's, um, it is kind of different because we can add more levels of interactivity. We can, um, it's, it's nonlinear. So the issue with radio is, especially with radio, TV, we get more airtime. With radio, the airtime is very precious sometimes. So you have to make sure that everyone knows, tune in this time, this day, otherwise they're going to miss it. Um, so yeah, we've we've tried to make sure that we design everything so that it's highly adaptable to to any platform, and that you know our hope is that more and more people will get access to internet, and then they have this kind of anytime, anywhere um, 
learning, but we we don't want to just skip there. We see it kind of more as a bridge. And, and actually what we're doing is we're helping to introduce people to kind of self-directed media-based learning. Um, and, and we do actually hope that the kids who grow up watching our show have this different kind of learning where, where we're scaffolding and supporting it. But a lot of it is pretty, you know, self-directed. We're always asking them after the show, go off and do this other thing, you know, reinforce your own learning. Um, you know, once they do get access to a smartphone and internet, the hope is then they, you know, have the underlying skills and, and we do some digital literacy training too. They've got those skills so that now they can go on and access, you know, a whole world of information that they can go and learn from. Yeah. And of course, if the, you know, if there's one thing that we've, we've learned over, you know, over the the decades, I would say is actually is that old, old tech that never really dies. I mean, it, it, it kind of evolves. I mean, just like, uh, you know, radio didn't, didn't do away with, you know, with, with books and, 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 you know, film didn't, didn't do away with theater and, and, you know, sure enough, the internet isn't really killing, you know, television or radio. In fact, it, in many ways, there's been a, a renaissance of both mediums, um, as a result of, of, you know, of, of the internet, if you think about it, right? I and mean, if you think about podcasts, right? The explosion in, you know, in uh, both quantity and quality of, you know, of, of podcasts. Similarly with, you know, Net Netflix and, and Amazon and the like have been, have been a, you know, a godsend in many respects for quality TV programming, right? So, um, so yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I can see how you guys would actually be very well placed to, to again, as, as as you say, be platform agnostic and just focus on producing high quality programming and just making sure that it's, you know, it's available, you know, on on whatever platform um, is is out there. Well, I was going to say it's really interesting. There are people out there who are also being so creative with how to kind of deliver content via different platforms um to make it accessible so you know you mentioned podcasts so we we do we have a podcast we have a radio show but then a third way that we're using our audio content now is actually um by interactive voice response so this technology for basic mobile phones that was really developed so that you know you could call the bank or call a customer service center and go through menus and hear automated messages um, people have built amazing platforms now where you can use it for for storytelling, listening to episodes of a radio program, and even making it interactive, right? So you can have stories that are branching and go in different directions. You can choose, you know, if this is what you're learning, you can go in and select the content. So I think it's a really clever way that, again, this kind of old technology is being used, but in a way that's quite innovative um, and is able to deliver um, content to people uh, in a very, very accessible format. Um, so that's something exciting we, we've done recently. And we're kind of always on the lookout for, you know, what are other ways to, to deliver content, um, whether or not it's some fancy new technology or something old that's being repurposed in a new way. Yeah, no, I, I was just kind of chuckling away there a little bit because, of course, the, the stereotype of, of uh, you know, kind of voice uh, voice recognition and, and voice activated tech is that the, the the tech doesn't always understand what you're saying and, and you know and kind of you know I don't know in all those sort of comedies you, there's always a, a a scene of 
of uh, this this sort of voice uh, recognition going going horribly wrong. But of course, it is it is improving. And actually, you're right with you know and you know with AI with you know with Alexa with Siri, um, you know we're not too far away from uh, from the moment where you could you know you could have a conversation with a machine at some point. Um, and and it you know it could be quite uh, you know quite quite plausible as a uh, as a substitute to the to the real thing yeah so no I'd be curious to 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 sort of follow this this uh, space and, and this development um so what what are your you know what what are some of your plans Nisha for for the future of of Ubongo? what are you what are you what have you got your um, site set on for the next you know five five, 10 years. Yeah. So, so we had set a new five-year vision and plan at the end of 2019. Um, and of course, 2020 happened. Uh, this year has been very different from what we'd all thought, but actually it, it kind of turned our, much of our five-year plan kind of into a more of a five-month plan where we said, you know what, we have to do a lot of these things now. Um, so our, our goal had been to um, reach 60 million kids across Africa by 20, um, 2025. So we're still working to do that, um, to adapt to enough local languages for those 60 million kids, which I'm telling you is a lot of languages. So we've got, we've got six broadcasting now, um, 10 currently in production and are, are developing some more. Um, and to be on accessible, freely accessible technologies um, across the, the continent um, or across sub-Saharan Africa. So, so we have been able to launch very rapidly. We're on national scale now um, in 18 countries. And that was really with COVID, what we determined was, you know, we have to do this much faster. We have to find ways to be able to mobilize faster, get it to the broadcasters and just go because there was such a need for the content. So we actually really like up the speed of that growth. And we're on, not nationally, but on, on free to air TV that sometimes is regional in 40 countries in Africa now. So that was really big growth from, I think we were at 14 at the beginning of the year. So, so have expanded really rapidly, um, to do that. Um, so yeah, so for us, it's that reach, um, the localization to different, different languages, um, and context too, as we make more shows, we're trying to make them more pan-African in terms of the characters and the culture. Um, and then the last thing is really focusing on kids at the last mile. So while yes, you can reach 80 to 90% of the population with TV and radio, um, we know that the kids who reach it most are the ones who need it most are the ones who we're maybe not getting to. So, um, we have released in March this year, we released uh, what we call our toolkits. So we have a website platform and kind of a physical USB stick that partners can get um, free where they have access to our content. It's searchable. You can search by different topics, languages, um, uh, platforms too. So if you're only using audio or you only have print, we have things available for that. Um, and uh, at the moment, we've got a couple hundred partners using that, but we realized to actually get everywhere, we we have to find a way to serve thousands of different small grassroots organizations and schools and make sure that they can get access to use this in the way that's most appropriate for their context and provide them with the support to be able to do that. So that's a big project of ours going forward, you know, figuring out, okay, we're not going to reach 
to the last mile to every last child ourselves, but there is someone who can reach each child. So how do we make sure that we can support them and give them the resources that they need to help that child get a really strong start in education and life? So, so I imagine, I mean, the, the, the sort of the pandemic has, has kind of given business a boost and that's, that, that's, I mean, that's a message that we've sort of heard consistently across let's call, broadly speaking, the ed tech, you know, the, the, the ed tech space that, you know, remote distance, uh, distance learning has, you know, has, has once again, you know, come, come to the fore because of the unusual circumstances that we're, you know, we're, we're confronted with globally. How much of that do you think will be permanent versus, okay, this is kind of a temporary patch because you know we we can't get kids back in school you know fast enough or you know or or in sufficient numbers yeah so um so for us the interesting thing is we always saw ourselves as supplemental right and then kind of overnight we were like wow while governments are working on their response plan we're kind of the only thing for a lot of kids in many of the countries where we were working um but we were never designed to be, you know, your kind of like sole source of education. So we did what we could to try and support. Um, so we definitely, you know, our hope is that kids go back to school and, and we can go back to filling that supplemental space. But I think we have learned some about what more we can be doing and, and we hope that that remains. So I mentioned before that we do content for caregivers. We really doubled down on that during COVID. And I think a big silver lining of it was that a lot of parents in Africa had always been told that like your job in education is pay school fees and send your child to school, right? They were not at all engaged in education, especially parents who didn't have much of an education themselves. And this was actually in some ways a real opportunity, especially through radio, we did this a lot, to reach out to parents and say, you are your child's first teacher, doesn't matter your own level of education, you can do this and give them, we did like lots of facilitated activities and exercises for parents and older siblings and grandparents to do with kids where they can be learning together and also reflect and see, oh, wow, by playing this game, my kid really learned something. There is quite a role I can play and I can help keep them learning. Um, So what we're trying to do is make sure that the momentum on that really stays, right? We don't want parents to just send the kids back to school and say, hey, you know, I have nothing to do with this anymore, but to kind of build that culture and habit of learning together at home, especially for the old, early years. But, you know, it's important for the older kids, too. So that's something I really hope remains. And um, in Tanzania, we have reopened schools now for over a month. And it it does seem that, um, you know, even, even with kids going back to school, um, the parents are remaining highly engaged. They're using the additional services. Like we launched a WhatsApp bot. We have SMSs for parents. And, and those are still being heavily used even though kids are going back to school. So I, I think that is a good sign of maintaining that engagement. Um, I think for the sector at large, one of the key things is going to be figuring out how do we engage with the the formal and the government system to um, make sure that we can support as kids are going back to school. Um, because we do know that it's there may be continue to be more disruptions, right? It's like, they might go back in for a bit, come back out. Um, and, and I think this is an opportunity for a kind of transition to a different um, kind of status quo of more blended learning. Um, but 
it's difficult. I mean, everyone's just trying to do whatever they can right now. So, so where I actually see it happening is at the grassroots and at the level of the individual teachers and the individual schools and smaller organizations. But I think it's going to be, you know, it's going to really have to take a big effort for it to happen at the level of a school system as a whole. Well, Misha, I mean, I, it's, it's encouraging. I mean, I think the, the, the first part of your response is certainly encouraging because I think you're right. I think one of the silver linings coming out of out of uh, COVID is is a renewed appreciation, certainly on the part of parents about you know how how you know what a difficult job teaching is, and therefore renewed appreciation for teachers. But you know the flip side also though is you know uh, society at large has begun to appreciate just what a crucial role parents can play, you know to to support um, you know their their, their kids education and I, I you know I couldn't agree with you more in 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 hoping that you know this is something that that stays uh, that stays with us um, it was a real pleasure Nisha to have you on you know on on the wise words uh, podcast um, I want to thank also our audience for you know once again tuning in um, please don't forget to check out all the links That'll allow you to learn more um, about Ubongo and, of course, uh, more about WISE. Uh, of course, if you enjoyed this uh, episode of WISE Words, please don't forget to like this post and also to subscribe to WISE Words on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you may get your uh, podcasts from. Uh, please keep an eye on our social media channels. We're going to be back again um, in a couple of weeks for another episode. Again, Nisha, thank you for being on Wise Words. Thank you very much. And thank you for all that Wise does to you know keep all of us connected, informed, and um, thinking, thinking big when it comes to education.